Hello, and welcome to Music City Songwriter, the podcast where we talk to the songwriters weaving the fabric of Music City USA itself, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Matt Benarski, and today on the podcast, we have Travis Meadows. Travis Meadows spent years trying to escape himself. He's anything but selfish, so he'd find a way to get away, a bottle, a bag, a sermon, and he'd share it with everyone. That was then. Now, Meadows isn't trying to get anybody lost or high. Instead, he's trying to get every single one of us to settle in deeply to ourselves and love what's there. Travis has clawed his way to the peace he's found, and his willingness to map that journey through his songs has saved more lives than his own. On his anxiously awaited new album, First Cigarette, Meadows proves once again that when he sings the truth he's living, he can set us all free. Disciples have been dancing by Meadows' fire for years. Eric Church, Dirks Bentley, Jake Owen, Mary Gauthier, Brandy Clark, Blackberry Smoke, Hank Williams Jr., Winona Judge, Randy Hauser, and others began writing with, recording, and praising Meadows as soon as they heard his work. Songs such as Riser, the title track of Bentley's 2015 album, Church's Knives of New Orleans, and Darkside, and Owen's What We Ain't Got are all Meadows-penned chart climbers. An intimate record utilizing just Meadows' blues-hewn voice and mostly acoustic guitar with pops of electric and other strings, First Cigarette is an intensely relatable meditation on love, acceptance, and redemption. An artistic and personal triumph, especially for a man whose early life was defined by loss and pain. First Cigarette benefits from all the battles Meadows has lost and won, including his now seven years and counting of sobriety. This is quite the conversation. I hope you enjoy my talk with Travis Meadows. All right, Travis Meadows, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, man. Yeah, so I start every podcast this way, and I'll make no exception. Travis, what is your story? Man, my story is, uh, you know, I was just a, just a normal kid growing up in Mississippi and uh, used to watch those Elvis movies. Hmm. And um, I'd watch him, you know, be a race car driver or a hotel clerk or whatever he was and then somebody would throw him a guitar and uh, and when he started playing the whole world would kind of lean in you hmm. know and start paying attention and I remember from a young age thinking that'd be a heck of a way to live life so I spent the rest of my time trying to figure out how to you know be that and hmm. uh, started off on the drums uh, about I don't know 11 or 10 or 11 something like that I had a, a friend of mine down the street that um, he was left-handed like I was, and we went to, um, and uh, I'd go around to visit. I was actually hanging out with his younger brother, but he would, uh, he had his drum kit set up, and he would uh, be playing drums, and I asked him, could I sit down one day, and, and uh, kind of took to it pretty naturally. And um, so uh, I started going down to his house, and when he would go eat dinner, I would, uh, or supper, as we call it in Mississippi, um, I'd go down there and play the drums, and then my it kind of turned into a passion. So my my grandparents bought me a drum kit, and I spent a lot of time behind the drums, putting on records, and playing the drums, and um, you know, kind of a fairly normal childhood. Um, you know, got into trouble a lot when I was a kid, um, and then discovered drugs and alcohol that seemed to make things life a little more palatable a little more tolerable hmm. and um, 
but things just kind of started clicking for me. I was, uh, you know, just kind of uh, went through uh, normal stuff, fairly normal, as you know, for for a dysfunctional family as normal as we could be. Um, but I was going to move to Gatlinburg at 21 years old. Um, I was going to be a hillbilly <laughs> and play bluegrass All and right. smoke weed. All right. And I got up there and um, I found out pretty quickly how hard bluegrass music was to play, so I opted out for smoking weed and being a hillbilly. <laughs> um, but while I was there, there was um, a little deli cafe down downtown Gatlinburg um, called Chuggies. And my wife at the time was a waitress at that place. You know, we were looking for for uh, jobs, and um, and uh, so I would go visit her. And there were some people in there that were sitting, and um, and they would play a guitar with a tip jar, and they would play James Taylor and Springsteen and Neil Young and America and John Mellencamp, and and so for the first time in my life. Um, I started listening to music a little differently. I was, you know, I'd always kind of thought of it more from a drummer's perspective, and yeah. so the beat and the and the feel. But for the first time, I kind of paid attention to the lyrics, and um, and it was kind of life changing. And so um, I had recently picked up a guitar, and I asked the lady, I'm so stupid not thinking about it, but I, I asked her maybe could I sit for the lunch crowd. Um, and play some songs, and she said yes, which I couldn't believe. Um, I only knew three songs, so I would play those three songs. What were those three songs? I only remember one, New okay. Young's Helpless. All right, yeah, yeah. It was great. the first song I learned on guitar, and um, whatever the other two were. Sure. Um, and then um, probably Heart of Gold, something like that. Yeah. Um, I played those three songs and said, okay, I gotta take a break, because it's the only three songs I knew, and I let that, <laughs> that those people clear out you know it was a real tourist destination and then the other people would come in and get a sandwich and I'd sit back down and play the same three songs right. That's fantastic. then the next day I knew five or six songs and yeah. then you know I just kind of kept going by the time that tourist season dried up I was playing about a hundred or 150 songs All right. and then I was you know making 20 or 30 dollars a day in tips I thought I had it made you know it was, yeah. I mean I was making it in the music business so um, tourist season dried up and went back home and you know, um, but that was kind of it. Then I just I just spent every waking moment trying to figure out a way to you know to to make music and not get a real job. Hmm. And and here we are, many many years later, and I'm I'm still trying to figure out how to make music and not get a real job. <laughs> well, so that was the start of as playing music for a living. But was songwriting a part of that there yet? No, that's kind of where it all that's where it all kind of came together. That's when the songwriting really started taking root. I had. Um, I had written, you know, um, a little bit, just kind of dabbling. Yeah. Uh, but in one of the bands that I was in playing drums, um, I wrote a couple songs and I presented it to the band, and I remember them kind of, you know, saying how stupid the words were. Hmm. So really, kind of broke my spirit. So yeah. I just decided to keep those songs to myself, and so so I would write, but I wouldn't play them for anybody because I was. You know, scared. I didn't want to be hurt like that again. You know, the rejection, which is, you know, s such a evil trick. Uh, you know, you, to to get in uh, in an industry of no, mm. when you when you wear your feelings on your sleeve like that, as most musicians do. It yeah. was just it's just kind of a weird a weird uh, way of doing things. But but anyway, um, yeah, man. Uh, well, with all that success, I mean, because you, you've, we'll, we'll fill in the gap with all that success that you've had, 
how did you, I guess, muster up getting past the nose after so many times to eventually get to the S's? I didn't really have any other options, you know, by, by the time, uh, uh, well, moving to Nashville, I was 38, and I had I had pretty much done everything that I had wanted to accomplish. Okay. The two things left on my list of things to do before I die was to get a record deal, um, and uh, maybe write with the best writers in the world, you know, try to get a publishing deal. So um, that was kind of on the back end of me, uh, you know, being a preacher for 17 years. I had a spiritual experience. Um, at 24, kind of bottomed out, you know, and needed something new and had a spiritual experience, and I can't do a little bit of anything, so, hmm. so, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, I couldn't be just a church member, so I, I wanted to be a preacher, so I started traveling around and doing all that, but, um, you know, that that kind of went on for a while, and then... Um, you did 17 years that went on, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So does it's that... me all over the world, man. I've yeah. preached in, you know, churches some of the biggest churches in America and, and uh, went on the mission field for four years. I was a youth pastor, worship leader. Man, everything, yeah. Yeah, I did it, you know, I did it all. But then, I, you know, I started asking some questions that um, that I didn't like the answers to, you know. And uh, looking back on it, I feel like it was kind of a really a, a naive faith. Um, and, you know, kind of figured out after a while that, you know, I, I had basically traded one addiction for another, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so uh, so uh, I remember making uh, 30 calls to churches that I had been going to for years and got turned down 30 times, and I said, that's it, I'm done. Um, Calling to, to preach at them, or they weren't giving the answers you wanted? No, they they no, they no just, they you know, I had been going there. My, my sole livelihood was on, you know, offerings from churches. I'd go and speak, right. and they'd take up an offering or whatever, and um, and none of them were having me back. I did a lot of, like, conferences where I would go and... and um, and teach them how to put bands together and and do worship music and stuff, you know, and uh, and uh, and basically I worked myself out of a job. They didn't need me anymore, so hmm. so I didn't have any anywhere to go and nothing to do, and so um, um, so I moved to Nashville and. Um, uh, with the intent to preach? No, 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 I was no. I, I moved to Nashville with the intent of, of writing songs. I wanted yeah. to figure out a way to get out of preaching and uh, and into writing songs because I had, you know, I'd been writing Christian songs for yeah. for quite some time, and um, and I just kind of ran out of things to say. Man, I, I called them JPMs, Jesus per minute. You know, I mean, <laughs> just kind of. Right. You know, uh, so I just ran out of things to say, and I felt like life was bigger than 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 just talking about that all the time. I wanted to write about my life. I wanted to write about victories and challenges and yeah. depressing things, and you know the the, the whole part the of life, not just the pretty parts. You know, and so um, um, and so uh, I came to town, and and uh, and I'd basically been living there for about a year and I was mad at myself because I moved there to write songs and had not done anything but basically flying from Nashville to go preach instead of you know Mississippi and so um, so I started uh, started playing all the open mics around town and, uh, and this was what year this is oh, what did God. you get here in the 02, 90s? I guess, oh two I guess three something like that um, and uh, I'm terrible with dates oh that's not good I'm just but kidding. anyway um, so uh, Started playing those open mics, and I had a couple of meetings with. Uh, at the time, I was with ASCAP. I'd been with them for years, and I'd had a few things on Christian radio. Um, 
but I would go in and I would talk to this guy over there because uh, somebody told me that they actually have liaisons and it's their job to connect you with publishers. I did. I had been there with them for years and had no idea that that's what they did. And um, so I started having a meeting with this guy and I would go in and I'd play my Christian songs and he would check his email, which was infuriating <sighs> and uh, wouldn't pay any attention to me. And then I had maybe two or three meetings with him and it just... It was just horrible. Waste of time. Yeah, and he didn't care anything about what I was doing. But I, in the meantime, I had written a few country songs. And I got one more meeting with him, I, you know, and I basically just said, you know, it's obvious you don't care about these Christian songs. Um, and he was kind of the, the Christian guy at ASCAP, too. So, um, you know, just kind of barking up the, the wrong tree. Hmm. And so I brought some country songs in, and I said, you know, and, and I remember being in the middle of a, of a chorus of the first song and he stopped playing his email and he turned around and started taking notes hmm. and so, you know my antenna went up and I'm like hmm and so he set up a couple of meetings for me uh, he set up three meetings uh, with publishers around town and I thought well that's it I'm, I'm doing it and the first meetings went so bad that I did not go to the third one. Hmm. And then that's kind of when... Uh, what do you mean they went bad? What does that mean? I mean, they were uninterested. You know, they said things like, you know, I've heard everything you're saying. I mean, it was information I needed to know. They were telling me things that I needed to hear. Gotcha. But, you know, that doesn't mean I have to like it. Sure. Um, you know, uh, you're just going to have to work harder. Um, I, feel like you're, I feel like you're writing songs that you want me to hear. Or you're writing songs you think I want to hear, as opposed to writing from your heart. That's what they told you. Yeah, it's great information. That's good advice. Yeah. And one of them said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't believe a word you're saying. I don't think, I don't think your conviction's true. I don't think you're, I don't think you're telling the truth because I'm not sure if you know who you are, which was spot on because I was right in the middle of this downhill, you know, trying not to be a preacher, making all my money doing that, and and. Um, and he was exactly right. I had no clue who I was. Ironically, um, about the same time as this, I watched uh, Walk the Line. Yeah, yeah. And Johnny Cash walks in. He plays those gospel songs, and the guy tells him, "I don't believe. I don't believe a word you're saying, son. He said, hmm. You're laying in a ditch, and it's the last song you get to sing. What are you gonna What are you gonna play then?" And he starts playing um, uh, Ring of Fire. I think. No, not Ring of Fire. Uh, uh, oh. His first big song. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm blanking right now, but yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, and so I I um, I was completely frustrated, and I didn't know what to do. So I started drinking heavy, and I started playing all of the songwriter nights around town. And it's one of the best things that could have ever happened because I started, you know, from a very dark, depressing place, started writing brutally honest songs. And uh, started rubbing shoulders with some of the writers that were making their way around town uh, in those days, and uh, and just started writing a completely different kind of song, digging water from a you know from a deeper well, yeah, and finding out who I was at the core again, right. kind of a rebirth of sorts, um, which was a was a hideous process, man. I mean, I almost oh, killed yeah. myself going through all of that. It was just a terribly dark time in my life. But um, and then this. Uh, this publisher from Universal showed up to one of those nights. Somebody had, had uh, you know, given him a heads up, you should go hear this guy. And um, I didn't even know he was coming. And um, hmm. and he showed up and signed me within a month. And so, you know, that was check one off of the, uh, off the list of things to do, you know. Um, 
and uh, and I was signed to Universal, which was at the time, it may still be, but at the time it was the biggest publishing company in the world. So not only did I score, I scored big, you know. Yeah, man, jeez. And uh, so it was great. It was great. Um, yeah. And then from there, I mean, is that when you started co-writing like crazy, where it really took off? Would you draw a line and say then? Unfortunately, it didn't take off. The only thing that took off was my my uh, skill as a writer started yeah, yeah. started uh, really you know started honing my craft and I started rubbing shoulders with the best writers in the world and started learning and gleaning from them and and my publisher uh, Scott Gunner at the time was just brilliant because um, I wasn't in a place actually I've never been I don't know if I'll ever be in a place where I can take criticism too well but hmm. but um but he was brilliant in the way that he would ask questions instead of going I think this song's not good or something like that which would have destroyed me he'd just say you know it sounds like this verse, is that not saying the same thing the first verse is saying? It's a very preacher way of approaching it. Yeah. You know, and asking so, questions to reveal yeah, to you. Yeah, and I'd be like, oh man, you're right. So I would go back and fix it, yeah. you know. Uh, so he was just great at that. Hmm. And and uh, over the course of time, it just got to where he didn't have to ask those questions anymore. You asked you know? yourself. Yeah, and then and it got to the point where I started trusting my instincts more than his. That's great. Um and uh, anyway, it was just a, it was a great process. I didn't, I really didn't have the day that I signed my contract. There was a guy named Adam Brand who was an artist in Australia, and he recorded three of my songs on the day that I signed my contract with Universal. <laughs> so that was a good head start. But you know, yeah. there wasn't really any money in it. But it was a great pat on the back that I was, you know, that I'd picked a good road to be on. Yeah. Um, I never really did have any uh, good success over there, and that was kind of at a that was kind of at a pivotal moment in Nashville when. When the music was changing, starting you know, starting to take a turn from great songs to whatever you know that is that they're doing now. Okay. Um, and um, to the kind of the churn out thing. It was a yeah. More, more, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and he uh, he actually got out of publishing because Scott. of that. Yeah, he got out uh-huh. of it because you know he said you're as good as any writer. He signed some really big writers, Craig mm-hmm. Wiseman, uh, you know. The, I think Jeff Steele, some really great writers that he had signed, and and I couldn't break. And he said, "You're as good as any of those guys." I, I obviously don't know what I'm doing anymore. I don't know how to. I don't know how this works anymore. So he wow. kind of got out. He got real burned out, and so I stayed uh, another six or eight months my, for my contract to, to run up at Universal. Um, so how and, long was that in total at Universal? Uh, it was six years. Six, so six years, and and essentially six years of. You know, showing up to work every day and and, and getting a little beat up, yeah. And nothing, no. You know, I mean, I, a handful of little small cuts, no singles, the things that you know that everybody wants. None of those things were happening, and uh, so they finally let me go. Um, and then I went to Cobalt for I think four years. Pretty quickly from one to the other. Well, you know, at the tail end of the Universal deal, I had kind of bottomed out, and so I was in the middle of going, you know, all of my, between going to jail and going to rehab, um, I had really just bottomed out to the point that if I was a publisher, I wouldn't have wanted to have anything to do with me either, so I didn't blame them. But ironically, um, I had gotten out, uh, I went four times, and and the last time, you know, it stuck. And I, you know, I, I was, I was in it to win it that last time. And so I really wasn't looking for a publishing deal. Uh, you know, a smarter man would have been banging on every door in Nashville, but instead I took my son camping. I'm like, I'm just, whatever's gonna be is gonna be. I'm just glad to be alive. I didn't die. I made it through the fire. And uh, and uh, I actually went to a, um, uh, 
I, I started making a record, Killing Uncle Buzzy, uh, at the end of that um, Universal uh, period, and um, and I got Emily West to sing background vocals, who I worship, and um, and I was actually going to get my nine month chip. I, I, I you know, in uh, recovery circles, you go for like a you get twenty four hour chip, and then you get a thirty day chip, and a sixty day chip, and ninety day chip. And uh, and I and I had I got I got a hat at the house that's I have about 15 24 hour chips and I have about six or seven one month and I got two or three uh, two months and uh, you know and I had and I had two six months I think hmm. maybe one but I'd never gotten a nine month and that was six years of me trying hmm. but I couldn't get nine months and I was on my way to get my nine month chip uh, after making Killing Uncle Buzzy I made that record. Emily West sang on it. I was on my way to get my nine-month chip, and Emily West texted and said, "Hey, I'm doing this songwriter thing. Um, would you uh, would you come sing some of these songs? The world needs to hear it." And I was terrified, and I'd not been at a bar oh, yeah. in quite some time because I I wouldn't even say the word bar because I did not want to I didn't want to be that guy anymore. Yeah. And it was at a bar, and I'm like, "Do I really want to do this?" And and I kind of. I think I do. So I turned around and I left the parking lot at the AA meeting and I went back to my apartment and got my guitar and I went down there to uh, the, the old listening room um, over there uh, near Cummins Station. Yeah. And I walked in and it turns out it wasn't her songwriting night at all. It was the Cobalt Writers Night. Yeah. And she and she actually uh, was just making a whole... So when, when her set got done, she said, I know I'm breaking the rules and this is rude. I'm sorry. But I got a guy you need to hear, and no pressure at all, right? I am freaking out because, <laughs> because it wasn't like she was just going to pull me up on her side. Oh, no, and she let me made do a this song. spotlight for you. She basically made a spot, and like I don't know who's coming up next, but you have to wait yeah. because I'm inviting my friend up. And so I got up, and I was a nervous wreck. There's actually a YouTube video of that particular performance I had on a baseball cap, and you can hear it. There's nobody. There is no worse fans. Uh, maybe wedding parties, but outside of wedding parties, there's no worse fans than songwriters. They all demand that you listen to them, but they're going to be talking and working the room while you're playing. Wow. And it's a room filled, I mean, assholes and elbows just packed in there <laughs> with people, and I'm and I'm singing, and they're talking, and I'm a wreck. I think I, might, I, I came close to dropping my pick. I was shaking so bad. <clears throat> But you can listen to that YouTube video, and you can actually hear it. It's like this stillness comes over the room. Um, there's just chatter, 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 normal barroom chatter, and then all of a sudden, just hush. Yeah. This hush, and they're listening, and it was amazing. Um, sign of a good song. Yeah, and 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 kind of a maybe you know like a, a sign of things to come. You know, I'd really, I didn't have a. I I was still married at the time, and I remember. Um, uh, texting my wife and saying this is as close to God walking in the room as I've felt in a very very long time because it was just like this this holy hush thing you know and it was pretty magical and and I really needed it at that time because I'd been pretty beat up and um, and so Whitney Dane who was running Cobalt at the time said well you got to do another one now and the crowd goes nuts and so I did another song and um, and then she she came up and she's like who are you? Where did you come from? And it turns out she had known me uh, years before, but I, you know, I was always passed out 
when she would come over, I was hanging out with this other guy, and I'd be, I would write and then pass out somewhere, you know, when I was just stayed drunk and had a terrible reputation by that time. And um, and she signed me. I had a couple of other people um, offer uh, publishing deals, but I went with her, and, and I'm glad I did. It worked out great. And um, and and I mean, the ink really did not even get dry on that contract. Um, and it was, you know, it was not, I didn't have any leverage, so it was not a great publishing deal, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was better than the Universal deal. Um, but, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I mean, they're, <clears throat> they're, they're trying to do business too, and you can't really invest a lot of money in somebody that has no cuts after six years or whatever. Right. But, I mean, almost instantly, things started happening with Riser and what we ain't got. And yeah, yeah. Things started popping. Um, and, uh, and I, I'm absolutely 100% convinced that a lot of that had to do with, you know, with uh, with me getting sober. And like the universe, oh, yeah. you know, me telling the universe I'm, I'm going to do good this time and the universe saying back, you know what, I'm yeah. going to reward that. Hmm. And so, um, so, yeah, man, then things started popping good. Um, yeah, man, it's been good. But I learned, uh, you know, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot through that. You know, I, I remember going to uh, one of my counselors in rehab, uh, suggested that I keep a journal because I, I kept trying and failing and said maybe you should keep a journal and I said I don't do journals I'll make a record and this is right before the the uh, party thing you know right and I um, I started uh, documenting me getting sober and one song turned into two and two turned into a record uh, called Killing Uncle Buzzy and I learned um, I learned something really important during that process and that was that um, I had been spending years trying to write songs for other people based on my life experiences. And when I started, um, you know, um, really becoming quite self-indulgent, it's, it's, a, it's a terribly self-indulgent process. The way that I write, I'm just writing about me all the time. Well, it's uh, the most honest, though. You know the most about you. It's honest and it's really vulnerable. Um, but and I and I really feel like part of the reason that I spiraled um, so badly is that you know um, I was letting go of me being an artist, and it was something that I'd wanted to do my whole life. And, huh. and I really, you know, and I was basically saying, okay, I'll never be an artist. I'll never get a record deal. So I'm just going to write songs for other people. But that record kind of brought me back to my roots, and and my roots are me singing songs that I love. That's what I had always wanted to do. And it changed everything for me. Making that record changed everything for me. Number one, um, you know, I was nine months sober when I finished that record, which was uh, which was a long time for me. Yeah. And uh, but I but I also accidentally became an artist again. Well, when you let go of it, it came back naturally. Exactly. It's almost like a cat or a woman. You know, when when, when you're paying attention to them, they don't care. When you quit, you started, you know, quit paying attention to them, and all of a sudden they start paying attention. So. <laughs> So that's exactly the way that it worked, and so I became an accidental artist, um, and you know, and then it's just from there, it's just been incredible. I don't have to, um, I don't have to, um, you know, to chase things. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, I'm not worried about truck songs or beat songs that other people are writing. There are plenty of people doing that great. Yeah. I write Travis songs, and so that was really a game changer for me. That's when things started popping. Is when I just started writing songs for me as an artist and then of course um, that started slowly but gradually started uh, turning into a you know a small but loyal fan base and um, I started playing shows 
uh, which I'm still doing. And yeah. now, you know, it's just turned into this really beautiful thing. Um, my schedule is, is filled with, uh, you know, with dates. Um, and uh, and I'm, a, I'm a very happy guy, man. Well, Things are just going great. Yeah, That's it's good. Awesome. Well, so let's talk about songwriting. But when, you know, you're in a unique position here because many people, they sign a pub deal, they get in the room with a couple other writers trying to get those hits. Today, are you just trying to make music that is important to you? Do you yeah, do you write all. anywhere with that? This could be a hit. You're just writing you. Never. No, yeah. I don't even pay attention to that because to this day, I don't know what a hit is. Mm. I couldn't. Man, I, I I have no idea what a hit is or how to write one. I just write heart songs and hope they stick. Um, <clears throat> even Riser, you know, I wrote what we ain't got for uh, that Jake recorded. Uh, Jake Owen. I wrote that for, for the Killing Uncle Buzzy record. And then I was making a record a couple years later um, because I didn't want to be Uncle Buzzy anymore. I want, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. So I needed, I needed to make a record just to kind of, that felt like forward momentum. Right. And, um, and I wrote Riser as a part of that project. And it didn't make the record on Old Ghost and Unfinished Business. It didn't uh, make your record. It did not. Uh, and by your, your by your choice, you felt it didn't measure up. Well, no, I loved it, but I didn't know how. I felt. You know, I'm, I guess I'm just kind of you know pointing to how little I do know about hits um, because I, <laughs> you know uh, Jeremy Spillman produced that record and, and 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 he wasn't crazy about it in the context for that project. For he sure. just felt like it didn't fit in that particular. Um, and and there is that one line, you know, I'll pray till Jesus rolls away the stone. That was something that, that at the time, I didn't feel like I could look somebody in the eye and with confidence say, you know, this is me. Right. I just didn't feel like that at all. So it was easy for me to say no. But the record was done, and I had five songs left over that didn't make the record, the EP. And I, and I, I booked a session, which is actually the last session I've ever done. That was a long time ago. Um... Well, where, demo you, where you get the yeah, where you get yeah. the where you get the band together and do the whole session. I never do those anymore. In fact, a lot of what I'm getting is just on phone recordings. I just you know, yeah. so I'm not spending money in the studio. But uh, but I had five of those songs and two of those. Um, I, I got a session band together. We got in there and I told them it, just how weird this town is. Since it didn't make the record, I don't want to do it like a Travis record. Let's do it rock and roll. Let's just treat this like a movie soundtrack, and let's just let's just make rock and roll songs. Cool. And uh, and Riser was one of those. And so the Dirks version of Riser is basically my demo. I mean, they took my demo and just did a really good version. But that whole U2 feeling, don't mm. don't don't <laughs> do, you know, that was from my demo. Um, and um, man, yeah. So two of those songs wound up. I, I think uh, 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 Ronnie Dunn recorded the other one. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so again, though, these songs you're just writing from you. I mean, do you do mostly co-writing or solo writing these days? Do you do you know predominantly one? How did how do you mend that tension of this is me, and sometimes I got to share it with others. You know, well, where do you operate in that space? The ideal the ideal situation for me when I'm writing is. I told my I write for BMG now, and I told them when I went over there that I, I you know, I don't want to be tied into the whole co-writing scene just for the sake of songs. Man, I mean, there are thousands. I have thousands of songs in those catalogs. I believe it. And, yeah. and most um, of the time, and, people and won't hear nothing. Yeah, they're just collecting dust. And I'm firmly convinced that writers in Nashville could go on strike. And the world would not even know we were gone for 10 years because there's so many thousands of songs. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't even know we were gone. 
So the last thing I want to do is write another song to sit on a shelf. So the ideal situation for me is that I'm writing with I'm writing with another artist and we're writing for their record okay. or we're writing for my record or a producer that's working on an artist and, and they're looking for something you know put in particular for an artist. So there's a goal oriented to you. Always, always because man, you know, um, good ideas these days are so hard to come by. I've written every song I can imagine two or three times yeah. and just trying to get the same one you know better because I'm I'm completely out of ideas to yeah. write yeah. and um, so so the idea of throwing that you know to the pigs uh, is just uh, you know not appealing to me at all so it's always very very purpose driven and then there are sometimes I have friends you know that I write with and and uh, very creative uh, you know, I still write with some of the new people in town when I get a minute because I because I do want to be current and I do want to you know uh, be, be in, in yeah and in create a creative environment where uh, where I feel like because uh, I leave those you know feeling inspired, um, but it's still you know kind of kind of pointed and and at the end of the day, every single day I have these committee meetings in my head and the way that I fool the committee is. Uh, so that so that they are firmly convinced that I'm not wasting time. It's every day that I write. If I'm not writing, I'm writing for my record. And if I'm not writing for mine, then I'm on the bus with Eric Church and I'm working on his record. Cool. And that's that's what I do. So you've been doing this long enough. Do you would you say that you have a process? Would you say that you have a way that you do things? And if so, what is it? No, it's it's still pretty different every time. I, I mean, you know, some some things that that have to happen. Um, I need to be reading a lot of books because I run out of words. There's an old adage, you know, you can't you can't write if you don't read. So, and I can always tell when I start when I'm not reading enough, I start running out of words. So okay. I have to be reading. I have to be constantly on the search for inspiration. Yeah, listening to conversations, you know, watching movies, reading. Do you collect books. ideas throughout your life, jot things down, kind of Every, thing. Every everywhere I go, yeah. constantly putting things down. Um, and I do have a tendency to, to do better when I'm holding the guitar in a co-writing situation. I, I, the words seem to come easier when I'm holding the guitar. You know, I call it I'm driving, when I'm driving. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and when somebody else is driving, I do fine, but I can kind of step out of that headspace and just kind of put my head uh, in their headspace, and, th and that works. But, you know, it's never... Um, it's never do you start with a melody or do you start with the words I never know and I, and honestly I kind of like that um, that kind of a, a, a magical not knowing yeah. is kind of important to me because if I, I feel like if I have a if I have a format that it won't be magic anymore and I just don't want to do that yeah. I don't want to limit myself and um, and um, and have some kind of a, a, a program that I go by. So um, and it still it still feels pretty magical, because those you know the songs are are bigger than us, man. And I feel like they're out there and they want to be written. Hmm. They just you know they're just looking for an avenue. And so I just try to stay open, and let them be what they want to be. You know I I don't argue with them too much. You know <laughs> I let them be what they want to be. So if it starts coming out and it sounds like a you know a punk rock thing, I'm like, well, this will never work in country radio. I never do that. Whatever it wants to be, I let it be what yeah. it wants to be. Um, and it keeps it inspirational. It keeps it fun. It keeps it engaging. You know, um, I do. If there, I I do have a tendency to be better at this point in my career. I do have a tendency to be better 
with an idea or a title because I kind of have to see the video before I can start making things rhyme. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and that's just kind of based on experience because, you know, I've hundreds of times just kind of let things start free flowing and kind of coming out and written myself in a corner because, I, you know, even though it makes sense and it sounds awesome, I don't know what it is, where is it going, yeah. and have to quit because I don't know what it is. So rather than waste that time, you know, I'd rather see the video. So, so I do have a tendency to, to do better with a title. Um, or an idea, even if the title is wrong, you know, the idea is the girl's in a car and the whole song is her driving yeah. on a Thursday. If I can see that much, then that kind of helps me, you know, put the furniture in the room yeah. from that perspective. Because because basically, you know, just, you have all of every idea known to man and every word and every color and every smell and it's just it's just so wide and so big when i can see the video then then we can mm-hmm. kind of remove all the chaos and and concentrate on this part right here and it just makes it you know a little easier um for me anyway what makes a what makes a great song when you write what are you trying to do you know what what ultimately is your goal man if it doesn't move me it's not going to move anybody else yeah and so so you know, the first thing it has to do is move me where I feel it, where I where I see myself in the video, where, you know, um, where it moves me on an emotional level, spiritual level, whatever, um, where, you know, I feel it. Because that's the reason I got into music in the first place, which is, you know, and, and these days it's a, it's a juggling act because I think we all get into music because we love music. Yeah. Um, and then the business of music, if you're not careful, will suck the life right out of you and it, and it becomes not fun anymore. Tough, yeah. And when it's not fun anymore, I mean, I could I could be selling cars or something. Is it know? always fun for you? No. Yeah, so... so no, it's not. In fact, I, you know, it, it's it's probably... I really have to... I really have to be careful these days. Um, you know, a lot of times when I pick up my... The only time I pick up my guitar is when I'm working, which is just sad. That's, I get it. It's, it's tough. sad. It's tough. But I never have time. I mean, I'm either in a car driving to North Carolina or wherever I'm going, unloading, setting up for a show, tearing down, go to the hotel, go to sleep, get up right. and do it again the next day. Yeah, where's the kid that just tinkered around? Yeah, he's gone years ago. Well, he's, he's maybe on vacation. Maybe he's coming back. Well, I, you know, I, there, it's just it's so much a part of my life. The business of music is so much a part of my life now that that um, I think that's where when I when I mentioned earlier about getting around um, uh, some really inspiring people, that's when it gets fun for me. Like, I, but just the case in point, every single time I write with Eric Church, I am so inspired when I leave. He's just an incredible force of nature. He's hmm. one of the most creative people I've ever been around. Really, wow, and fearless. And a great writer, and he knows what he wants to say, and that's so unheard of in, in today, not only in the music culture but in culture culture. Yeah, People yeah. don't know who they are, or what they what they want, hmm. you know. But Eric knows what he wants, and so it's just so inspiring, and so that kind of lights my fire, you know. And so um, I just got off the bus with uh, Lanco. We went up there, and those kids love music, man. They love music, and I was on the bus with them, and we're writing, you know. Uh, three times a day and, and way into the late night and it was really inspiring and then I got to watch uh, Dirk sing Riser in front of God I don't know it was a sea of people I have no idea how many people were there and then uh, the Brothers Osborne who just recorded one of my songs that, that I wrote with them they did not do the song um, that night opening for Dirk's but uh, 
but just seeing them blossom, you know, I knew right. those guys when John was playing, you know, guitar on sessions for me. Um, and he wasn't the brothers Osborne. He was just a guitar player trying to make it, just trying to make something happen. You know, right. he was a great guy. Um, when that happens, when somebody sings your song in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people, can you wrap your mind around that? Like, what do you do? It you just sit there and 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 open your heart and just let it fill you up, man. Mm. It's an incredible, it's an incredible feeling. Watching all the cell phones. It's so funny. When I was a kid, it was lighters. You sure, know? But, sure. But now they hold the cell phones up and just the sea of people. And he's singing riser. It was it was really surreal, you know. It's an incredible feeling. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brings it back home again. That's why I'm still here, you know. Uh, when I'm playing shows, it is hard work, man. I'm not I'm not 20 anymore. This is you know the the road life is really hard, and I'm I'm killing myself out there. But then I get that you know 60 to 90 minutes in front of people that are there to see me play my songs. There's nothing like it, man. It yeah. is it's it's magic in the purest form, you know. That's really inspiring, and I always leave, um, you know, feeling hopeful, uh, even on a bad night when it's, you know, when things aren't clicking. That you know, sometimes you're on fire and the crowd's not getting it. Yeah. Sometimes they're on fire and you're just phoning it in. But then those real magic nights when everybody goes there together, yeah. man, that's some powerful stuff. That's about as good as it gets. And the same thing happens in a writing room when you, when you're writing it and you do, you don't have anything and then all of a sudden it starts clicking and you go oh my god this is really good yeah and and you know and and again you know I don't have a formula so I feel like I'm just kind of reaching out into the into the this other world and no not that one that, not that and pulling this thing down that's you know and holding that and putting it in in a song is just incredible and I still have the ability to. You know, when I'm looking for melodies, a lot of times the words just kind of flow out like they should. The melodies have really never been, and I, I don't know that I'm a huge, I don't think people listen to my songs. I think they probably listen to the lyrics more than the melodies, but nine times out of ten, it's my melody too. Melodies have never been a huge problem for me. Hmm. Um, because I still, somehow, I still have the ability to, when I'm holding my guitar, to just kind of ride this wave and just kind of let it go where it wants to go it's the weirdest process but you have to be willing to kind of make a little bit of a fool out of yourself because you kind of have to step out of this real fearful i'm going to look like an idiot la 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 you know while you're playing these chords and so you have to be around somebody that you trust or alone but but that's pretty magical, man, when you're just kind of, you know, you're just holding your guitar and you just kind of let it take you to this place. The next thing you know, you're sitting on this melody that's beautiful and moving and and stirring. Um, it's magic, man. It's yeah. magic. That's why I still do it, because it's so rewarding and it still works. Huh. So you had those two goals that you've now accomplished. Yeah. What's, uh, do you have new ones? Because what, what do you desire now that you check those off, you've had these things, I guess... There's still hunger there, so you know what are you hungry for? Well, uh, actually, the record deal is um, I I I did not have a record deal until about a year ago. That was that was first cigarette for first cigarette. Mind blowing because I had completely given up on that. I, I you know, huh. and I got a record deal. They they believed in the record and a Blaster Records believed in it and wanted to turn it into uh, to a thing. You know, I had this little fan base and I was doing everything. I was I was booking my own shows. I was the driver, I was the artist, I was doing everything self-managed, yeah. and and I had this, and I wanted to turn this little thing into this bigger something, yeah. 
And I knew that I needed help to take it to the next level. So I'm making a lot less money than I was. You are now. Yeah. Yeah, because the yeah, but because now I'm paying, you know, uh, this team. But, you know, by God, uh, you know, I'm getting to see what it looks like with, with, with more people working together. Yeah, as, the message is going to more, it's right? Go, yeah, it's, and, it's, it's getting out to more people. You know, the I'm doing a lot of opening slots, which is, you know, kind of weird because I'm... Opening for who now? Oh, I'm doing all... Man, I just did some things with Chris and I. Um, open for Dwight Yoakam. Yeah. I'm about to go out with American Aquarium here in a, a couple of weeks. And then I still do my little headline things in between. So, like, I'll open for them three or four days and then I'll do a headlining thing sure. where it's just me and... Uh, but but the whole idea is just to turn it into something bigger. I want to grow the fan base because I'm you know um, I believe in this music. I believe in in the message and and I believe that um, that there are some people out there that really want to hear well crafted songs delivered well. And I think I do that pretty good, which is weird to even hear myself say because I've struggled with self confidence for so long in my life. But I but I I feel and it's not really based on what I've done so much is the way that people respond to it sure. there's no way that they would keep responding over and over unless something was working no, so yeah. that's where i get the self-confidence you're, you're, you're from observing then. the data it's yeah exactly scientific thing. and the data the data is that it's working and yeah. they love it so i want to turn you know i want to turn that six or seven ten thousand people whatever it is my fan base is i want to turn it into you know hundreds of thousands of people you know and yeah. um and i and i believe it's possible so the, so the, I said all that. So the record deal's brand new. So I literally just checked that off. So yeah. now now I've got to make a new list. Uh, list. Um, what uh, you know? I'm. What I you know? There are little theaters like the Franklin Theater. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful place. Th- yeah. Those are all over America. I'd yeah. love I'd love to take you know my music to a place where I don't ever see myself me and a guitar or me and one side person. I don't see me playing stadiums. It's not that kind of an uh, of an event. <clears throat> There's a lot of storytelling at my shows, and uh, you know it's uh, and it is kind of you know people are really moved by these things. There's a lot of people talking about how you know my music saved their life, or you know it got them through the darkest period of their life, which is really too much responsibility for me. I just kind of smile and say thanks and move on. I I can't shoulder that kind of responsibility. Um, but um, but I would love to you know I'd love to. Uh, to, to, to do um, those theaters all over America and a lot of those theaters are in small towns that the big artists won't go to yeah and yeah, just, just about, yeah you know what I mean and just and just do 150 of those a year and keep making records and I mean it's really and I, I'm you know I'm, I'm, I'm doing it I mean that's that's you know, it living the dream yeah well let's just like you said uh, you like to see the tape of a song before you put the furniture in it let's just to wrap this up do that with your life let's take a step back you know, beyond music, obviously you are a songwriter, performer, but you're a person, you're a family man, you're all these things. I guess what is your ultimate goal, ultimate purpose above that? You know, what would you say? Man, so that's a that's a loaded question. I mean, I want to be I want to be an incredible father. I just I recently married. Uh, I want to be a I want to be a great husband. I want to be a, a you know a, a decent human being. Um, I don't want to make great music. I mean, it, it's it, you know, I'm not a I'm not a, a deep well of, you know, uh, these these life changing thoughts. I'm just a man trying to make do. Hmm. I did have to, um, I did you know, the, uh, I had several comments right after I started this phase of my career, and uh, and I had a couple friends of mine um, say, you know, I don't know what you were doing those years you were a preacher, but you're a preacher now. Hmm. 
And, and it took me a long time to process that because, you know, I, because I got out of preaching because I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want that kind of responsibility. And I felt like there towards the end especially, I turned into a, a little bit of a, I felt like a charlatan. I, was, I had pure motives, but I felt like I was kind of working the system a little bit and I wanted to get out. Hmm. Um, but, but it did force me, them asking that did force me, well, what is it that you're doing? Hmm. And again, based on the data. I think I think what I'm doing, and it, and it seems to be working, is I give people permission to be okay with themselves where they're at. I think we have this really backwards notion, well, if I could marry Sally so-and-so, or if I was making this much money, or if I had this career instead of this career, or if I only drank on weekends, then I would be okay. And the reality is, you know, people, places, and things don't fulfill your life. You've got to get to a place where you are okay with yourself, where you're at, in the situation you're at, scars and all. Hmm. Scars and all. And that's where contentment comes from. And so if I, you know, if I can, uh, if I can inspire uh, people, and again, I hate to sound like an asshole, but I mean, I'm not really doing it to be an inspiration to others. I'm really doing it to survive. I mean, this is this is a man trying to work things out and try to be a decent human being, and uh, and to not screw up because I've you know I've screwed up a lot in the past, and so I just want to be a good dad and a good husband. But if that inspires some other people, I'm cool with that. But that's not the reason that I'm doing. It, and it sounds terrible. No, it's honest. But yeah, I mean, but it, it's the reality of it. I I'm I'm trying to be a good human being. I'm trying to make quality decisions in my life. I'm trying to. Um, you know, to be a to to be a, a a good father, a good husband, a good citizen of the world, right. and do the you know do do the next right thing because I, I don't see a lot of that right, right now, man. Uh, this uh, this society is a is a man. It's a weird time to be alive right now, man. With with all this hate and um, and I don't I don't I I don't enjoy that kind of hate. I'm, man, I want I want to so I want to give love everywhere that I can, you know. And I think I think uh, I think music is a great uh, platform to to spread love and right. forgiveness and hope, mm-hmm. um, because it lets down our defenses. You know, they may not listen to anybody else, but but when when a song's on and it touches them, they go, "Well, man, I you know this is me," and so um, I get great fulfillment from that. Carol, you make me want to say amen to all that. Amen. There you go. Yeah. There well, go. um, Travis, thank you. My pleasure. Just want to. Uh, so, where can people find you online? What's Travismeadows.com, man. It's all there from tour dates to yeah. blogs and uh, uh, the store. Everything you need is right there, and probably more information than you care. I think we got some videos and stuff up. Cool. So, but that's kind of one-stop shopping. You go there, and it gives you links to everywhere. You got else. it. Coming to a city near you, Travis. Wish you nothing but the best. Thank, thank you, you so much, my friend. Well, there you go. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Travis Meadows. Definitely connect with him online. Keep up to date with what he's doing. Maybe catch him at a show. And of course, stay connected with us. We are at Music City Songwriter on Facebook and Instagram, at Nash City Podcast on Twitter. And if you need to email us, we are MusicCitySongwriter at gmail.com. But thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much.